Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Uh, This morning I want to go to John 15. It's where I want to spend uh, most, if not all, of my time this morning. Uh, Before I go there, though, we we are in a series called Rooted, and uh, it's been such a good series as we kind of kind of get back to the basics, kind of refocus ourselves. The beginning of the year is always a good opportunity to do that and kind of see where, where your year is headed, what goals you have for the year, and it's always a good opportunity to kind of recenter your mind and focus and make sure that you're rooted in the right stuff. Um, for my wife, Lauren, and I, uh, it has been a really special time for us around our house. If you didn't know, we're having a baby, and uh, we are about uh, 30 weeks into this thing, so we're like close, close. Uh, we had a doctor's appointment this past week, and so I wanted to show you guys uh, this quick video. Go ahead and play it. Uh, this, is, this, this happened. We got to meet our girl again uh, this week, and so that's Ellie. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this, was, this is always so surreal when you get to see it, but this next part is the real part that, that really, uh, really did it for me. Just listen. Oh, I can't hear it. Yeah. You heard a heartbeat in there. So we got to, to, to say hey to our little girl before she gets here in just a couple of, of weeks, it feels like. But because of all of this, uh, me and my wife are realizing that uh, the old saying, it takes a village. Anybody know what I'm talking about when you, when you hear that? It takes a village to raise a child. That is becoming more and more true to us every day. This is our first kid. We've been together, it'll be 12 years in March. And, uh, you know, no, we didn't plan on waiting this long to have our kid. There was a lot of uh, uh, crying at times. There was a lot of emotion at times. And Mother's Days and Father's Days, yes, were hard at times. And so it's taken a while for us, but it makes this part of it even sweeter. And we're noticing along the way that so many people, it's like we, the minute we announced that we were having a baby, it's like we joined a club. Like the advice just started rolling in. Some of it we welcomed, some of it we did not welcome, but we got it anyway. Uh, but it's been incredible. And I, so I got curious as I was prepping for this message this week and I started looking, where did that phrase, it takes a village come from? And it has its roots, uh, most people would agree, it has its roots in Africa. And they would say that yes, raising the child, nurturing and stuff like that is, is the responsibility of the parent, but actually bringing up the child the upbringing of the child, the community has to be involved in that. The village has to be involved in that. The parent can't do it alone. It takes other people giving advice, letting you know. Apparently gripe water is the best thing ever. And so we're finding this stuff out. It takes a village to do this. And that's what I wanna focus in on for a little bit this morning. The the kind of topic that we're going at is being rooted in community, being rooted in the church to be specific, biblical community. And being rooted in the church is more important now than it's ever been. And now when I say the church, I'm talking capital C church, like the church. This is not a 30-minute ad for New Life Church, don't get me wrong. I love New Life. I love this church. If I was not a pastor here, I'd be attending here. I just love this church and what we do. But our church, we've said this before, our church is not the best church. We know that. We're striving to be better every single week. We miss areas. There are areas that we're not strong in. There are areas we're very strong in. But the church, 
Christ's church is what I want to talk about this morning. And a few years ago, I know we're all sick of talking about it, but COVID in 2020 threw things for a spiral. It took the biblical community aspect of church, of what the church is supposed to be, and it flipped it on its axis. The biggest hit to our culture, aside from the obvious health risks and problems that were there, was the loss of the sense of community. That loss of being connected, being rooted in something. People got isolated. People started forming habits of being isolated. And because of all of that, because of those habits that form, roots begin to wither away. James Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, says, we learn to love not by getting information about what we should love, but rather through the practices that form the habits of how we love. In other words, we can know everything that we need to know about how to love humans, how to love people. We can know everything, but it's what we see. It's what we do. It's what we're around, the people we're around, that shapes who we are and how we do this in practice. When I think about a root, I think about a tree. I think about roots, my mind immediately goes to a tree. Even our graphic here has a whole bunch of trees because why? That's what we think of most of the time. We think of roots. A few years ago, uh, when Lauren and I bought our house, we, we love our house. We get to entertain. Uh, it's, it's a great space for where we're at right now, but it had no trees in it. There was zero trees on our property, and we knew we wanted to have a tree, but not just some, any tree. We wanted to make sure it was the perfect tree for us. And so Lauren was doing a lot of research and looking into what tree we wanted to have, and uh, she had her heart set on a ginkgo tree, okay? So if you know what that is, I didn't until she told me about it. And so I was like, okay, fine, we'll get that tree. Oh, that's an expensive tree, <laughs> And so uh, I thought it was special a couple years ago for our 10th anniversary. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get this tree for her. It'll be a symbol, 10 years together, moving forward. Our kids will play on that tree. It'll be awesome. We get to have it. And so I went, the only place that had them around here was Little Rock. So I had to go to Little Rock, picked out the tree, bought it, got it home, uh, surprised Lauren with it. She was so happy. But then I had to go through the process of actually planting this tree. And I did not realize the work that it goes into planting a tree. There's a lot of rules that go into planting a tree. You gotta make sure like pH balance is okay with your soil, it's compatible. Like the only compatibility I know of is software on a computer. I didn't know a tree had to have compatibility, but apparently it does. And then you actually have to like dig the hole. I heard a comedian a couple of weeks ago, Nate Bargatze, he does this whole bit about how digging is harder than the movies make it look like. <laughs> like you watch a movie or a TV show, they just, yeah, they'll dig, you know, whatever. No, it's hard. <laughs> Again, it's hard work, especially when you have rocks and shale and it's March and the ground's been frozen for six months. Like it was a big ordeal. Then you got to make sure that the hole is deep enough and wide enough. Anybody know the song? Come on, you thought it. Deep and wide. Come on, choir. Okay, some of y'all did not grow up in church. That's okay. But there's a lot that goes into planting this tree. And so we planted the tree and got it all set up and you had to put the little bamboo shoot in it to make it stand up right the right way. And I thought I was done. Well, a couple of weeks later, if you remember back in 2021, a couple of weeks later, early spring or mid spring, there was like 10 straight days of like hard rain. Like it was like a flood hit Arkansas and it was just constant rain. I'm constantly peeping out my back window going that expensive tree better not die. <laughs> 
And sure enough, a week or so after the rains came, everything started to dry out. I look out there, and this tree that should be vibrant and green is now starting to yellow, and it's starting to turn brown on the ends, and the leaves are now, I'm seeing, on the ground. And so the very first thing I do is I go to my trusty Google on my phone, and I'm like, what would cause a brand new tree to do that? And sure enough, if the tree had not taken roots yet, then something like extreme weather, too much water, et cetera, will cause the tree to go into shock because it's not set yet. It doesn't have deep enough roots. It doesn't, hasn't grasped on to the soil. And the pastor in me looks at that and goes, okay, there, there's some Jesus in that. Because so often we, we, we live in a culture in today, 2023, where we can cherry pick whatever we want. You can customize your Starbucks order to the amount of milk you get in it. You, you can pick whatever show you, you don't have to watch commercials anymore. I haven't watched a commercial in years. Why? Because I can pay for a premium where I don't have to watch the commercials or if I'm watching the Razorbacks lose, then I can just skip ahead. Like we, we have been able to customize everything and what we tend to do is we customize community as well. We will customize friendships. We'll unfollow people. We'll customize church so much that if we're not happy with the way a church has challenged us, we may move on to another church until we find the right one that gets us in our comfortable spot. But yet when we do things like that, when we transfer ourselves out of one root system to another, if we do not have planted roots, deep roots that have taken, then when tough times come, they get made tougher because of our lack of a root system. David Jansen wrote, wrote this, in the 20th century, America's industries learned how to assemble atomic bombs, airplanes, iPads, and genetic codes of life itself in the same era that the American society disassembled the ancient overlap of family, food, faith, and the field of work. I love this. Americans reached for the stars as they withered their roots. They inhabited space but lost their sense of place. We have focused more on what I can do and what I want than what we can do and what we should do. So how can we get rooted? How can we find roots in biblical community, the local church, in the capital C church? How can we find roots, dig in, and stay planted? Let's go to scripture this morning. John 15. I'm gonna read nine, uh, start at verse nine and read several, but I'll space it out so you don't have to hear me read for 10 minutes. Starting in verse nine, John 15, nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If you're a note taker in the Bible or you like to mark it up, I want you to highlight, underline this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. My command is this. Jesus is commanding us. This is a directive from our boss, our commander in chief. Like I have commanded you, love each other as I have loved you. So let me give you some, some context. First off, to remain rooted in Christ, we must be rooted in love to God's people. If you wanna remain rooted in Christ, like we've talked about all month long, you have to be rooted in love to God's people. Now this love that we're talking about is not just affection, it's a commitment, it's a promise. To use a biblical word, it is a covenant. 
This is something Jesus has commissioned us to do. Love people. You have to love people. It's what the church should be built on. And thankfully, so many churches that I know and most churches in this world are built on this. Yes, guess what? The church is not perfect. No church is. If you expect to find a perfect church, it will be empty because people make church imperfect. There is no perfect church. Why? Because we, and I love, I love saying this any chance I get to, the church is trying to connect ordinary people to an unordinary God. But in the middle of that is the church that is organized and run by ordinary people. The only way to really connect with God is God himself. The church should be a community that helps build us up and get us closer to him, not replace him. 1 John 4, 8 says this, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If we claim to love God, but aren't loving his people, we don't know God. If you say, oh man, I'm a Christian. I love God. I believe in God. Oh, but I don't really love those people. Mm -mm. No, I don't don't get down with those people. No, then we really don't know who God is because God is saying, you got to love everybody. You have to love people. Bob Goff, I love this guy so much. In his book, Love Does, he says, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me, but now I'm more afraid of succeeding at the things that don't matter to me. And that's so good because so often we start striving for the wrong things. We'll get so caught up in in trying to know everything there is to know that we forget to actually do the things that we're supposed to do. Listen, you can memorize every scripture in the entire Bible, 66 books, multiple versions. I can memorize King James, New King James, the message, NIV, NLT, ESV, ABC, DEFG. Okay, you can memorize it all. You can walk where Jesus walked in Galilee. You can attend seminary. You could be at church every single time the doors are open, even for rehearsals. But if you don't love God's people, then you don't know him. We often choose convenience over deep commitment, but it's in the deep covenant relationships that we experience the richness of God's love and his plan for our life. You guys with me this morning? Number two, being rooted in the church will require sacrifice. It's that word we don't like to hear in church, but we hear it a lot, sacrifice. John 15, 13. So we're going to continue on with this this text this morning. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying a servant gets told what to do and must obey it or punishment. But a friend takes the command that's given, shares the heart behind it. Here's the reason why. Let me explain why we do this. Let me explain the best way to do this. And then not only that, I'm gonna do it with you. I'm gonna stand in the trenches with you. Galatians talks about bearing one another's burdens. Like uh, that's what a friend does. Here's what we should be doing and I'm gonna be there right beside you. One of my favorite analogies when it comes to this is the difference between a coach and a referee. I promise this will not be a moment that I make fun of the SEC officials for basketball. I promise. 
But there's a big difference between a coach and a referee, and it has, in my opinion, significant impact on our spiritual lives. A referee has rules they must follow. A referee has a rule book, they have a whistle, and if you break the rule, if you do something you shouldn't do, they have no problem blowing that whistle and penalizing you for that. They don't care about you, they don't care about your success, they don't care about the team's success, they don't care about emotions, they have nothing to do, it's black and white. That's why they wear black and white. Like, it is black and white, like this is the rule, I'm going to follow the letter of the rule. But a coach, a coach knows these same rules. A coach understands the same rules and he wants you to follow those same rules because he knows if you don't, you will be penalized. But yet a coach wants you to succeed. A coach wants what's best for you. A coach cares about you and the success of the team. A coach knows you inside and out, knows where you grew up, knows your family, knows your strengths and your weaknesses. The question is, what are we allowing God to be in our lives? Are you looking at God as just a referee who's just here waiting on you to mess up so he can blow the whistle? Or is God a coach who's coaching you up saying, hey, listen, no, that, that's not what you do, but here's how we can do this better. Here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a helpful tip. Instead of doing that, why don't you do this? And here's why, because this. Allow God to be a referee or a coach in our life. But in doing that, in allowing God to coach you, there has to be a level of trust involved. And with trust, trust requires sacrifice. One of my favorite stories is of uh, the great Charles Blondin. He was an acrobat in the 1800s. In 1859, June of 1859, I think it was June 30th, 1859, Charles Blondin became the first man to tightrope across Niagara Falls, about 1,100 feet. And he became so good at it that he started up in the stakes, up in the risk level just a little bit more. And so he would start gathering crowds around Niagara and he would go up there and he would, he would have the tightrope. And so he would, he would go and he would walk. And then the next time he'd go and he'd walk blindfolded. And then he'd go up and he would, he would have, he'd be carrying something. And then he would go and he, would, he, he carried a wheelbarrow full of cement one time all the way across Niagara Falls. And he got so good at this and people were so amazed by this. Big crowds were starting to form. And so one day he's at the edge of Niagara with a long rope and he, he looks over and he says, do you guys think that I can tightrope across Niagara Falls? And of course the crowd's going crazy. They're eating this thing up. They are so excited to see this. He goes, do you think I can do it with this wheelbarrow? They said, yes. Then he says, do you think I can do it with a wheelbarrow full of weight? And of course they're saying yes. And he looks over to man, he goes, do you think I can do this? And the man says, absolutely, man. I've seen you do it before. You're amazing. You're so cool. I want to be like you. He goes, okay, you believe I can do it? Yes, of course. Get in. <laughs> if you think I can do it, get in. How many know that guy did not get in? <laughs> Why? Because I trust you, but not that much. And it's so easy to say, yeah, I trust you. But then when God asks us to get in and to really trust him, a lot of us go, uh-uh, no, 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 no. That's, that's risk, that's sacrifice. And I'm comfortable right here on the sidelines watching you do your thing. But God is inviting us to be part of this thing. 
He is inviting us into this wheelbarrow and saying, hey, I will do all the work. You just gotta be a part of it. Real relationship, real community, being rooted in the church requires sacrifice. And this is what relationships look like. We, we, we know they're good. We hear it taught all the time. We got life group launch that'll happen not too long from now. And, and I know you're gonna hear something similar then as well. Like you, it's not good to be alone. You gotta be with community. We know this stuff. I don't think I'm preaching anything new to anybody here. But where a lot of us get tripped up, we know they're good. We know they work. We believe we need to be closer to people. We, we know we've been isolated. But when it comes to getting in what God wants for us, we hesitate. We stop. We get scared because we know there's sacrifice involved. It becomes too real and we decide, I gotta back out of this thing and move on. There will be sacrifice, but do you trust God enough to get in? My third point. If we remain rooted to Christ and his church, we will bear fruit that lasts. If you remain connected, if you remain rooted, if you plug in, if you say, I'm, I'm making this a commitment, I'm doing what it takes, I'm willing to sacrifice stuff, maybe it's sacrificing some calendar, maybe it's sacrificing some extra stuff, that Netflix series you've been watching. If we get rid of some of that stuff and we say, okay, I'm committed, I'm gonna be rooted, if we do those things, then we will bear fruit that lasts. Let's continue on with our text this morning. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, a fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. He says it again. He says the same command. He starts with it and he ends with it. Love each other. Can we say that together? One, two, three, love each other. That's his command. God is saying, I'm, this, this is the one thing, this is the biggest thing. He references this a lot. If you look throughout the gospels, he talks about loving people a whole lot. Why? Because for so long in the church, at the time of Jesus, they were so worried about the do's and don'ts, a checklist. Couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And they got so deep into the weeds about what you could and couldn't do that they forgot about the original purpose of it, which was to love people. So Jesus had to come. He said, listen, you gotta love people. You gotta care about them. And he was so committed to it that he gave his life for it. Jesus practiced all of the things I've already talked about. He loved people so much that he sacrificed. And by doing that, we get to bear the fruit. And when you're rooted in community, you bear a fruit that lasts. It's not instant gratification like selfishness is. It's a fruit that lasts forever and ever past you to your children and their children and generations to come. When I was studying this last part, I'm gonna be honest with you. Every time I've always read this, I've heard this scripture many times, like I know some of you have. Every time I read that, I would read that as, if we get connected, we'll produce a fruit that lasts. Like we do that, something happens, and suddenly we're producing fruit. But that's not what it says. 
It's easy to read that and think that we're the ones producing, but read it again. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go up and bear fruit. Everybody say bear. Some of you think beats Battlestar Galactica, stop. Bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So I went to look it up. The word bear used in Greek is Pharaoh. It's, I'm sure it's got some Pharaoh or something like that, but Pharaoh is how I say it, which simply means to carry or bring forward. Y'all, this is strong. I don't know if you're picking up on it yet. We are not the ones producing the fruit. We are bringing the fruit that Jesus produces. Whatever you ask in my name, he says, the Father will give you if we follow the command to love each other. If you're, if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down because I, this is really strong to me at least. We are not generating a movement. The church is not generating a movement. We're joining one. So often, and listen, I, I've been a pastor now for a while and I've been part of church culture and leadership for a long time. And I'm gonna admit, there, there are a lot of times where as pastors and leaders, it's easy for us to get caught up in the mindset that we gotta generate this thing. We gotta create something. I've been part of some churches that think that, that think it's all up to us, it's on our shoulders, we've gotta do this. But I think Jesus coming out of, of a crazy three years, I think he's pruning us I think he's tweaking our mentality. He's adjusting our thoughts. And he's saying, you guys aren't generating anything. You are joining something I started a long time ago. You're joining something I started when I created the planet you're stepping on right now. We don't have to generate anything. We just have to join it and be a part of it and carry what it is that God is already giving us. And we have to do it together. Jesus says twice in that scripture, I'm commanding you, love one another, love people, get connected, form deep relationships, be part of something bigger than you are. Together we bear fruit, but apart we wither and die. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If you were to take your hand right now and just remove it from your body, you can live, but that hand will wither away. It will decompose. It will get gross. <laughs> it will smell. <laughs> and it will die. We have to stay connected. It's a great story of D.L. Moody. He was an evangelist in the 1800s. And he, would, he would speak all over the place, all over the country. And he was doing a service one night, doing revival. Spirit of God, I'm sure, was falling. And afterwards, he went to the house of a man he connected with at the service. And he, the man invited him to his home to have a meal or just to sit and talk. And so D.L. Went, went to the man's home. And he gets there. The man invites him to a living area or a den or something. But it's got some comfortable chairs in it. And it had a fireplace with a stone hearth. And the fire was going. It was warm. They sit there for a long time and they're having a conversation. They're talking, talking about church, talking about theology. I'm sure I would love to be in that conversation. Some time passes and the man starts to argue that he believes that you can be a Christian, you can follow God 
without being part of what the church is doing, without participating in the church is the way the story reads it. A deal, yeah, I believe, I believe God, I believe uh, he loves us, I love God, but I think I can do all the stuff that's required of me without being part of a church, without participating in what the church is doing, without being part of that Sunday morning thing, without being part of small groups and homes and conversations, without serving, without doing that stuff, I could still be a Christian. And I love this so much. Moody, without, without saying a word, grabbed the fire poker mid-conversation. He reaches over into the fire. He just taps out a coal onto the stone hearth area. Just taps one out. Still doesn't say a word. He just kind of, he just kind of sits there, listening to the other guy talk. And suddenly they both get quiet because they've noticed this coal that once was red hot emitting light and heat was now dimming and getting colder. Before too much longer, that coal had gotten to where it was soft or cold to the touch. You could touch it without being burned. Gone completely out. The man looks at D.L. Moody and goes, you've made your point. And the point is this, when we disconnect from the fire that God, I believe, has given the local church, you may stay white hot for a little bit. The process may be slow. You may not notice it immediately. You may skip out on church or life group or a group of friends or your community, whatever it looks like. You may step away for that for a minute and say, yeah, you know what, I'm fine. I, don't, I actually don't need church as much as I thought I did. The longer you're out of the fire, the colder it gets. The longer you're out of that community and the longer you're out of what's burning, the colder and colder it gets before the heat that you once produced, the light that you once produced is no longer there. Listen, my challenge is this. If you're not connected, get connected. If you are connected, fight to stay connected because there's a lot of stuff that pulls our, at our attention in 2023. There's a lot of stuff that pulls you away. There's a lot of stuff that vies for your attention. Stay connected. I want you guys to bow your heads with me.